So this this uh, listener is asking, what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? I'm assuming it's talking about for a believer here. Um, I was divorced a number of years ago because of unfaithfulness to my wife. I have since remarried, and we were both told by our pastor that we could not be in a position of leadership such as teaching because we were both divorced. And his question is, should we stay in this church and just accept we are basically second-class citizens because of the divorce and remarriage? And Frank, you want to start with that one? Oh, my goodness. Let me take a big breath before I do this and make sure my spirit is checked. Oh, goodness. First of all, Tony, let's deal with this issue. There is no such thing as an unpardonable sin except the sin of unbelief. It's the only sin that doesn't get pardoned and restored by the finished work of Christ. If you don't believe, you're not a recipient of that finished work, and therefore that's the only unpardonable sin. Uh, the church has for far too long uh, treated divorced people like second-class citizens. And it's being done largely through a faulty understanding of Matthew chapter 5. And we I, I don't like to go to the Greek language and the Hebrew language a lot uh, because it, it can give the impression that what's uh, the uh, what we hold in our hands, our Bible, is somehow not good enough. Uh, let's can I do that for just a second? When the people didn't have a Bible in their hands, then the church told people what to believe, and the church got corrupt, and the church sold salvation and got filthy rich and placed tremendous amount of bondage on the people of God and enslavement to religious authority. All you got to do is go read the history books. It's called the medieval ages, the dark ages. It was dark for a reason. Uh, there was no light of the word of God in the hands of the people. Greatest thing that ever happened was the invention of the printing press, because now the people can check the pastor, the teacher, like as Acts 20 says, or Acts 17 says, especially like the Bereans, uh, they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. And the idea there is if what a guy is saying isn't true, you reject what he's saying, because the plumb line is the word of God, not the guy who teaches it. Having said that, uh, the translation issues are an issue sometimes, and Matthew 5 is one of them. Whoever marries a divorced woman causes her to commit adultery. And of course, you can flip that. Whoever marries a divorced man causes him to commit adultery. And so, therefore, the church has mistakenly taught, uh, I've actually heard people say it, that you can't get re remarried or you'll be in a state of adultery for the rest of your life. And now God is understanding and he's gracious, so he'll allow that and he'll love you and you'll get in the kingdom, but you're a second-class citizen while you're on planet Earth. Um, that's a slander against the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a slander against the Holy Spirit who gave us his word. It's a slander against the recipients of Christ who have supposedly received total and complete restoration to God. So we really need to be careful here. Well, when you go to the Greek, um, it can also be translated putting away. Okay, Frank, what does that mean? Well, when you go into history, you find that within the ancient culture, there was a, a practice called putting away. 
So here I am married to Janet for 40 years. She burns my toast twice a week. So finally, I said, I've had enough of your burning my toast and I am putting you away. Boom, out of the house. Now, in that culture, the male had all the rights. Uh, so I go and I remarry somebody who doesn't burn my toast. Uh, Janet, on the other hand, in that culture, women didn't work outside of the home. So the only way they're going to survive is if they become beggars, shack up with somebody, a la the Samaritan woman, John chapter four, or uh, become a prostitute, or um, get remarried and live in a state of perpetual adultery. That's what God said. He hated Malachi 2. It can be God hates divorce. It can also be God hates putting away. And the reason he would hate that kind of a hard heart is that a man would do that to a woman. It wasn't the hard heartedness of getting divorced. It was the hard heartedness that a man would treat his wife that way. Tony, there's a little known verse. It's in Deuteronomy. You know, that's why nobody knows of it. <laughs> we just don't make a habit of reading the old book. Uh, but I think it's in chapter 25. <clears throat> Listen to what it says, because this will confirm it, by the way. Whoever puts away his wife. Whoa, there it is. Let him give her a bill of divorce. Why? Next verse. So she can marry another man. Whoa, that's the Holy Spirit inspired written word. The issue wasn't divorce. God addressed that back in Deuteronomy 25. What Jesus was so angry about was this wicked thing of putting away. Because if the woman never got a certificate of divorce, then when she gets remarried, quote unquote, she's committing adultery because she was never, ever divorced. And by the way, in Matthew chapters 18, 19, Jesus went after the Pharisees who were doing this and addressed them. Oh, when you got remarried, guys, after putting away your wife, you're now committing adultery because there was never a certificate of divorce. Now, here's the fascinating thing, the coup de grace. Back in around 1995, 96, I was reading a newspaper. Uh, for all our listeners, that's a, a bunch of paper that was delivered to your home <laughs> that contained the news. Uh, now you just pop on the TV or the internet. But in those days, you could read a written paper. And we had a newspaper called the Bat Rouge Advocate. And so I'm reading The Advocate, and on about the eighth or ninth page, there was a title of an article. Modern Day Rabbi Hunts Down Wayward Husbands. Well, that's something I want to read. Guess what? In Israel, they are practicing putting away their wives in the modern world. And so this rabbi's job was to hunt these guys down. And the article talked about one he found in Florida. Had a whole nother family, whole nother bunch of kids. Rabbi knocks on the door, says, hey, buddy, I'm Rabbi so-and-so from Israel. Here's a certificate of divorce. If you don't sign it, I'm going to tell your family that you have a whole nother family in Israel. Well, the boy signed. What? That poor woman in Israel 
couldn't get remarried because there was no certificate of divorce. If she got remarried, she'd be committing adultery. Matthew chapter 5, from the Greek, Malachi 2, from the Hebrew. That's, I think, what the scriptures are really saying. Very interesting. Uh, Preston, what about your wisdom on that question? Well, I would like to talk about this out of the Akkadian and the Ugaritic uh, <laughs> and, and reference back into the Latin, if I could. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Let me find a book. <laughs> I tell you, just I love your I love your brain, Frank. It's amazing. Uh, I just you're just this compendium of information and knowledge. It's just phenomenal. So uh, even though it's orange, yeah, even if you are orange or yellow, uh, you are I'm a real man. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> You know, Tony, um, one, there's another passage of Scripture. Uh, I'm glad you left one one verse for me to reference, Frank. It uh, says that uh, it's that at one point God was so angry with Israel that he issued uh, her a writ of divorce. So I think the takeaway from all that we're talking about here is... Uh, Divorce is a really big deal um, with far-reaching implication. Uh, yes, there are explanations for, you know, what happens when a marriage goes awry, uh, what do we do with it, etc. Um, but, you know, kind of retracing our steps just a touch here. Um, scripture says that when you get married that the man and the woman become one, uh, become one flesh. And, uh, you know, I never did really well in mathematics, but in math, uh, there's no way to divide one. Mm -hmm. You know, the only way to divide that, the only way to divide one is to rip it apart. And that's what happens when, uh, when a divorce occurs. And, uh, you know, we have country music to thank for all of the lyrics that are out there about what happens when your marriage breaks up, you know, and what a heart, a heart rending experience that is. Um, <clears throat> I think one reason for this is that kind of from the get go, marriage was designed to be a, uh, a pantomime, if you will, kind of a, uh, a play that we act out. Um, in our relationship with our spouse that is representative of the relationship that we have when we become believers. Mm -hmm. And so just as a man and a woman become one flesh, and you hear the, the minister say, now what God has joined together, let no man uh, put asunder. Uh, the reason that declaration is made is because it is a statement of the relationship that the believer has with God, that we are joined with him. And he says, uh, I will hang on to you. I've got you. 
Uh, there's no way that anything could ever separate us. In fact, if there was a separation, even in theory, uh, it would kill us both because it would destroy both of our hearts. And so, um, you know, that's a really crazy idea. And I think God realized uh, they're never going to believe this unless I give them something to that kind of is a rough approximation of this. And so he came up with marriage. And he then said, in order for you to even begin to grasp the hold that I have on you and the bond that exists between us, uh, let me say this. Marriage is something that doesn't break apart. <laughs> and yet here we are and we've got this... Uh, this terrible thing called divorce. And, uh, you know, we're all familiar with it. And inside the church, then we contend with it. And as Frank pointed out, there are uh, lots of stories about how we hurt uh, one another and whatnot. And uh, uh, inadvertently, perhaps send the message that, that divorce is the, uh, the unforgivable sin. Now, all of that said, um, <clears throat> I think that, um, like is so true in a lot of our relationships, uh, they're complex, and we're complex as human beings. And when it comes to relationships, there are very few things that are formulaic. And so when it comes time to visit with a person who has suffered divorce, uh, participated in divorce, initiated a divorce, you know, whatever, wherever you fit on that spectrum. I think the first order of business is to sit down and say, tell me about this. Uh, what happened here? And where are you now? And uh, I think any hint of uh, recalcitrance or rebellion or hard-heartedness or indifference, etc., is a glaring statement that uh, I have not yet sorted through what happened to me or what I did to somebody else or what I participated in. And uh, therefore, there is healing. Uh, there is work that is yet to be done before I am ready to say, okay, this is in my past. Here's how I have resolved it. On the other hand, as Frank pointed out, uh, this isn't the unforgivable sin. And so when um, a person suffers divorce, participates, initiates, whatever your role is in this thing, you sit down and you visit about it. If there, I think, is a proper understanding of what transpired and where I am now and what my new disposition is uh, toward my Heavenly Father and toward this other person that's in my life and all the extenuating circumstances, you know, that web of relationships that we all have, um, at that point, then I think there uh, can be a judgment call that is made that implements the kind of biblical scholarship that Frank has helped us with, and uh, but then results in kind of a practical working out that says, okay, um, you were uh, redeemed as a lost person. Uh, you have now been redeemed as a sinner man. You are also now uh, experiencing in your relationships a redemption. Uh, help us understand 
what do you know of redemption? And uh, in that process, uh, you know, as our Heavenly Father does, he presents a portrait that uh, we wouldn't have gotten if there was not a serious fracture that he then put back together through his healing touch, his forgiveness, and his divine mercies. Very good. Uh, I've got a follow-up question to that question or answer, guys. What would you advise this this person that's going through that situation in their church? They, w- they want to be involved within the church. Uh, it sounds like maybe he or she has a gift of teaching in that church. How would you encourage them or what wisdom would you impart to them uh, maybe to uh, talk to the pastor or uh, what, what advice would you give them in this current situation? Super. I'm glad that you did that, Tony. I was waiting. I was going to bring it up. Let's put on our take off the theologian hat and put on the shepherd's cap for a minute. So you, you did that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. One of the things we have to say to these people is first and foremost, whenever you're in an assembly, you are placing yourself under the authority of that assembly. Uh, where there is always authority within a context of an assembly of people. Uh, There has to be, or there would be chaos. Um, God has established authority, Romans chapter 13. And we respect the authority because we recognize that all authority comes from God. That's what the verse says. We might not, however, respect the man or the woman as a person who is in that position of authority. Or we might disagree with what they are doing as the person within that authority. Now, to you then, one thing we have to say is Romans 16 is very clear. You don't cause division. Uh, division uh, is, is a very dangerous thing to the body of Christ. We are one. We don't try to become one in the body of Christ. We are one. We're challenged by the Holy Spirit uh, to preserve our unity. Ephesians chapter 4. Right. So they have to make a decision. They are either going to have to stay within that assembly and honor that authority and place themselves under that authority and function within that authority. Now, that doesn't mean they can't dialogue, doesn't mean they can't present the scripture doesn't mean they couldn't give that pastor a link and say, watch this podcast. (laughs) Um, But they would need to do so with a uh, respectful, honoring uh, attitude. Uh, They don't go there with a finger pointed and say, hey, I heard these guys teach that you're not translating the scripture. You don't do that. You honor authority and you don't cause division. That's their one choice. The other is to quietly leave. Uh, Don't leave causing division, pointing fingers, yelling you're all a bunch of legalists. It's not your job. Your job would be to quietly walk away and find a place where you can minister. Now, I do want to add one final thought. In uh, one of the churches I pastored, we have a man come forward to be an elder. And when we dialogued with him, uh, he was very honest that he had been divorced. But like Press suggested, as we entered into discussion with him, we found that he was very neglectful of his role towards the children who were now in 
the major custody with the ex-wife. He hadn't reached out to them. He wasn't being a father to them. He wasn't spending time with them. And so we approached him. It wasn't the issue, hey, you've been divorced. You can't be an elder. But 1 Timothy 3 presents the guidelines of somebody in leadership. And it says that they shepherd their family well. Because the family is something the church looks at and says, boy, if he's doing a good job with his own family, he'll probably do a good job with the church. And so we told him, we're not saying no to you, but we're saying it's not yet time. You've got work to do. You have to demonstrate that you're a shepherd to these kids. You have to demonstrate that you can establish some semblance of peace with that ex-wife. You've, you've got to demonstrate that you're a restorer. Uh, and so a couple of years later, uh, we made him an elder. Uh, because he did all those things. You see, when you look at those qualifications, Tony, uh, this is what I would say. Uh, they are not an issue of perfection, but they are an issue of direction. And, and the idea is when you look at those things, you don't see the past of the man so much as you see his present walk. His present walk doesn't negate what happened. It's just that you don't see the cause of what happened in him anymore. Does that make sense? I'm pressed. Maybe you can put verbiage to that in your uh, profound. Uh, what was I don't remember those languages, but <laughs> maybe they have something you could add. <laughs> I will say that they're hieroglyphics. So. <laughs> I'm good at looking at pictures. <clears throat> um, you know, if I could hear uh, Tony, uh, Frank knows the story. I, think, I don't know if you do or not, but uh, a lot of years ago, uh, my wife bailed out of our marriage. And that uh, story does not have a happy ending uh, in that she did not come back. And... Um, <clears throat> At the time, I was involved in uh, leading a ministry, so I was that was my full-time work. Uh, I was very involved in our local church, um, you know, teaching Sunday school class, leading a department, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, when she bailed, um, all of that went away, and um, uh, you know there was betrayal then. Uh, from my best friend and et cetera. And I was informed, um, you know, one Sunday I showed up to, to do my job in this department that I was leading. And one of the church staff guys met me and informed me that, uh, you know, I was no longer doing that job and was no longer welcome, et cetera. So I lived the story that this person is asking about, and it was uh, it was hellish. Um, it it was awful, and uh, <clears throat> it made an already very uh, difficult and sad situation uh, absolutely awful. And um, so I not only you know, lost the love of my life, 
at that point. But I also lost um, the support structures that I had uh, both at my church as well as with my friends and, and so forth because of this um, theological belief about uh, how we are going to handle uh, people who are divorced. So in time, then, um, I sorted through what had happened to me. Uh, you know, it's a long story. Healed up, uh, etc., and uh, began to find my footing. I had sorted through where I was theologically on this matter, what had happened to me, etc., and uh, and then came the day where. Uh, I was still in this same church and came the day where someone put my name forward to become a deacon in this particular church. Well, um, and Frank, you may uh, flinch at, at what I did here, but uh, you being my friend, you'll not be surprised at this, I suppose. But um, I, had n I had zero calling to be a deacon. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, there, there was no question about whether I was going to do that job. I, I wasn't. But I uh, kept my name in the hat simply because I knew there would be an opportunity to appear before that committee and uh, answer their questions about, in my case, among other things, divorce and remarriage. And... Um, and so I stay. I kept my name in the hat uh, simply because I wanted the platform to say, surely this is not the way that we're supposed to conduct ourselves as the body of Christ. Um, <clears throat> that made no difference. And um, as the stories we hear uh, so often play out, this story played out similarly. I knew the people in the room that were interviewing me. I knew their stories. I knew that, uh, that there uh, were affairs that had been committed in that room and child abuse that was occurring inside that room, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and so it was um, my effort to uh, say, hey, uh, let's talk about how God reconciles a messy situation and uh, turns it into something that uh, brings glory to him, uh, ultimately. As my dad used to say, God is, has an uncanny way of taking a sow's ear and making a silk purse out of it. And, um, and so I, I know something of the story uh, that this person is asking about. And um, ultimately what happened for me, how I reconciled my experience with that particular church, is that there came a point in time where I said, um, I have done right by the people that are offended by me. I've done right before my Heavenly Father, and I believe that I've done right as best I can with this church that I have poured time and effort into. Uh, there's nothing left for me to do here. I'm free to leave. And at that point then, as Frank said, I uh, simply drifted away um, and was never missed, basically. And, uh, and so 
um, you know, the, the rest of that story very quickly then is that, um, you know, I've been married to the brown eyed girl now for, um, 30, 34 years. And, uh, so God, you know, worked a wonderful miracle in my life. Um, and furthermore, then the ministry platform that I had while it went away, uh, God built a brand new platform for me. And it's not one I ever would have dreamed uh, for myself. And uh, he guided me and he discipled me and he formed me and he created something that uh, is pretty unique that I've gotten to do professionally in terms of my ministry life and so forth. So it's a story of, of redemption and I'm thrilled about that. And not to sound bitter or condescending at all, but that former church knows nothing of what God has done in my life. And so they are the poorer for that, and I am the richer. Can I say one more thing, Tony? Uh, listening to you, Press, um, the Holy Spirit put a verse in my brain. Uh, it was either that or my brain recalled it to memory, but I'll, I'll give credit to him. Um <clears throat> A lot of people will point to 1 Timothy 3, where it says they have to be the husband of one wife. That, again, is a very interpretive translation. And because it's interpretive, it ends up being a poor translation. Because the Greek there is a one-woman man. That's the literal translation. Let him be a one woman man. You see, if it's the husband of one wife, you could have a guy become an elder who had never been divorced, but he treats his wife like a piece of dirt. The one woman man actually elevates that qualification, not to an, a numeric issue, but a qualitative rather than quantitative. In other words, you look at the man and you say, is he a one woman man? Not just that he has one wife. Is he a devoted husband? Is he loyal? Is he faithful? Is he kind and gentle to her? Does he shepherd her, guide her? And press, the reason I brought that up I think the reason the Holy Spirit popped it into my brain is when you said, I've been married to this brown-eyed girl for 34 years. I believe with all my heart that if anybody was looking at you and saying, should we have this old boy be an elder? They would look, and if they understood what the Greek was really saying there, is this Press Gillum a one-woman man? And we would unanimously say, unanimously say absolutely. Uh, is he the husband of one wife? Absolutely not. He can never be an elder. Do you see how foolish that is? The, the Holy Spirit isn't foolish. He didn't communicate uh, uh, in, a, in a way that would be um, misrepresented or, or misunderstood. Just do your homework. Uh, sit down with that book. Sit down with the concordance. Sit down with the interlinear. Do your homework. And you'll see what the Holy Spirit do, was doing there, was actually elevating and saying, what kind of man is he? That's huge. Mm -hmm. 
You know, Tony, well, Jim, there's a famous quote uh, from uh, Ruth Bell Graham, and she was this is Billy Graham's wife, and she was asked one time if she had ever considered divorce from Billy, and she said, "No, I have never considered divorcing Billy. I have considered murder." <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, and thank you for that honesty there. Um, I, you know, I, I listen to shows where um, theologians and pastors answer questions and they never bring up their own struggles in their own life. But uh, folks that are listening or watching, uh, just on my end, I appreciate the honesty because I struggle every single day of my life as a Christian. So I appreciate that. 